and I'll never forget the feeling. I, I can feel the feeling right now talking about it. I get the, the radio calls and I just, I mean, I can feel that feeling right now. Yeah, it was overwhelming. I don't even know how to describe it. This is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast, hosted by award-winning journalist Scott Orr. Now, here's Scott. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me today for a special episode of Code 3. This is the show that gives you all the information on a firefighting topic you need in about 20 minutes. Now let's get started. Friday, June 30th, 2023 is the 10th anniversary of the line of duty deaths of 19 wildland firefighters in Arizona. They were hotshots, the kind of people who really do fight fire with fire. Led by a consummate professional, the team made a move that no one expected and no one can explain. That move caused the deaths of the entire crew, save for one man, the lookout, who was stationed some distance away and faced his own danger. To help me tell their story today, I've enlisted the help of Todd Abel. He's a battalion chief with the Central Arizona Fire and Medical Authority. He is also an experienced Type 1 Operations Section Chief for Wildland Fires. And that's where he was assigned on the Arnell Hill Fire 10 years ago. On the evening of June 28, 2013, lightning struck the high desert near Yarnell, Arizona. It ignited a small wildland fire. But that small fire expanded very quickly, fueled by dry brush that had grown unchecked for over 45 years. Before it was fully contained on July 10th, the Yarnell Hill fire would burn 8,400 acres and destroy 129 structures. It would also take the lives of 19 members of the 20-man Granite Mountain Interagency Hotshot Crew. It was the worst line-of-duty deaths of firefighters since the 9-11 terrorist attacks. Yarnell was, and is, a small town, a haven for about 700 retirees who love the climate. It's mostly hot and dry, like Phoenix to the south. But there are also cool mountain breezes from time to time, like you'd find in Prescott to the north. June is monsoon season in Arizona. It's a time when thunderstorms can race through the desert, bringing drenching rain. The monsoon storms also deliver a dangerous punch with lightning. And as quickly as they arrive, monsoon storms move out. Yavapai County, Arizona felt the effects of monsoons that weekend. They ignited several brush fires. On June 28, 2013, at 5.30 p.m., lightning started a brush fire on a ridge west of the town of Yarnell, but rain barely fell at all. Todd Abel explained the situation. We had that uh, large lightning bust come through the area that started multiple fires. I mean, uh, Prescott National Forest was chasing fires. Um, all the local fire departments were helping the forest chase fires um, that were had greater potential to cause damage to values at risk, homes, watersheds, 
whatever it, it may have been. And the, that fire that uh, was in the Weavers like, later became the Yarnell Hill fire. That was way up high on the ridge, you know, wasn't real close to any homes, kind of in nowhere's, you know, no man's land. It was just way up on top of the Weavers. So as all these fires are happening, like I said, there was multiple fires in the Yavapai County area. The people that were in charge of firefighting on whatever lands that those fires started were prioritizing. They were saying, hey, this one's got more potential. We're going to send resources here. We'll put this one in monitor status. With all that in mind, the incident commander decided that the fire was not an immediate emergency. He felt that with the fire just half an acre and being in a rocky area with no good vehicle access, it could wait until morning. By the next morning, June 29th, the tiny fire had begun to grow. The Granite Mountain Hotshots were the only certified hotshot crew in the nation that was part of a city fire department. A hotshot crew, known as a Type 1 crew, is usually operated by the federal government. The Granite Mountain crew was born in 2001 as a fuels mitigation unit of the Prescott Fire Department. It cleared brush and trees that posed a threat to structures in case of a wildfire. That's called creating defensible space. They had just begun their seasonal work in May of 2002 when the Indian fire burned right up to the city of Prescott's boundary. That forced 2,500 residents to evacuate. And it drove public sentiment to turn the fuel mitigation unit into more of a firefighting force. By 2004, the unit, now named Crew 7, was working as a wildland firefighting unit, a Type 2 initial attack hand crew. There's an irony here. City residents liked the idea of having their own wildland firefighters in town, but Crew 7 was routinely assigned to fight fires all over the country. There was no guarantee they'd be available to protect their hometown if a fire started nearby. Still, ever since the crew was formed, members had looked forward to being certified as a Type 1 interagency hotshot crew. That happened in 2008, five years before the Arnell Hill fire. The fire continued to grow, threatening homes. Two single-engine air tankers were called in. After making two drops each, the air attack leader reported that the fire was contained on the south and west sides by retardant, the north side by a ridge, and on the east by a two-track dirt road. The air crews estimated the fire at two acres. The aircraft returned to their base in Prescott for fuel just afternoon. The state sent them to the town of Wickenburg to stand by for other fires. At 3.40 p.m., officials released a BLM brush engine and a local fire engine, but the fire wasn't done yet. The temperature was over 100 degrees and winds were growing stronger. 4.10 p.m., the IC recalled the two air tankers he had already released. He got one, plus an air attack. The other single-engine air tanker was held in case of another fire. Then around 4.30 p.m., the fire jumped that two-track road. Twenty-five minutes later, the IC asked for a heavy helitanker and then a large air tanker. They could not respond due to strong gusty winds. Thirteen firefighters were sent to the east side of the fire where it had crossed the road. 
Then dispatchers offered a massive DC-10 air tanker, one of the largest firefighting aircraft in the world. It would come from Albuquerque. But after a conference with its current air crews, the IC declined it. A Type 2 incident management team was ordered for the next day. More resources began to stream into the area, including the Blue Ridge Hotshots, a U.S. Forest Service team. Another hotshot crew missed the assignment, prompting a call to the Granite Mountain team. And so on that Sunday, June 30th, 2013, the hotshots found themselves hard at work, not far from home. The crew's supervisor, Eric Marsh, had been instructed to establish an anchor point at the heel of the fire. He headed up Division Alpha. And their main focus was to get the anchor point, to get a solid place where we could start working from. There was very, very little, little smoke. There's one spot showing smoke that morning um, as we were doing all this briefing and talking. We are at the fire station, and which was kind of unique because we could look across that valley and we could see 90% of the fire. So it was like we were looking from a distance, looking and saying, okay, let's grab that anchor point. Let's use these road systems for an alternate. Let's try to go direct for a primary. So, And we had iPads out with maps on them. So we're looking at the maps and looking at the closest structures and, you know, kind of piecing things together the best we could with the information we had. And then, yeah, then Gary Cordes, who was doing some structure uh, triage and uh, in that area, led them in to where they could make access to the to the two-track road that brought them up on top of the the Weaver Mountains and where they could start grabbing that anchor. The Granite Mountain crew arrived at about 7 a.m. Sunday. The Type 2 IMT took command about three hours later. Then Eric Marsh selected Brandon McDonough to act as a lookout, and the Blue Ridge Hotshot crew offered to drive him to a remote site where he could see the whole area. The rest of the Granite Mountain crew worked slowly but steadily in the 100-degree temperatures cutting a fire line. They took a lunch break. Then they went back over their fire line to make sure it was holding. Meanwhile, a new weather update was coming into the command post. It predicted thunderstorms building nearby with strong gusty winds. The Granite Mountain hotshots stopped in a safe spot, known as the Black. That's a burned-over area where the fire has no fuel and won't burn again. As an operations section chief, knowing that we were going to get, you know, 50-mile-per-hour winds, that we're going to do a 180 and, you know, kind of blow the fire back to the south, I wanted to make sure that Granite Mountain uh, was in a good place, you know, working for Division Alpha, that they're all in a good place. And then, obviously, I, I went to get a hold of the supervision in Yarnell Hill, or Yarnell, the town of Yarnell, excuse me, uh, to make sure that his trigger points were identified, meaning when the fire gets to a certain point, what actions was he going to take? And he had those trigger points all um, set up where we we're going to evacuate Yarnell, which we did. And then it was evacuate Yarnell, move back resources, then disengage uh, firefighters. Um, so and it hit those really fast because of, of the wind and the, you know, the outflow from the, the cell. So is it, uh, you know, hit the last trigger point, he disengaged all firefighters. So, you know, we were having those discussions. And then I eventually started talking to the supervision up there in People's Valley uh, to make sure they had everything they needed. 
Uh, now the fire was being pushed away from them, but they still were, you know, in a firefight because they had a bunch of fire up there by People's Valley. So that was just my thought process of making sure people are in safe locations um, and then, um, you know, trying to get everybody out of the way of a fast-moving fire. About 3.40 p.m., the lookout, Brandon McDonough, sees that the fire has reached his own trigger point, the boundary where he has to move to safety. The Blue Ridge hotshot superintendent drives over in a UTV and picks him up. But then, things go wrong. The Granite Mountain crew leaves the safety of the black and finds themselves in a box canyon facing a wall of flames. And then the next thing, I'm assuming and still believing that Granite Mountain, along with Division Alpha, are in the black and are in a good spot. Um, and then, obviously, the next tra- uh, radio transmission I hear is the um, excitement or the you know sense of urgency of them trying to get a hold of Air Attack. Air Attack! No one knows why Eric Marsh, a steady hand if ever there was one, would have taken his crew out of a known safe area and into a canyon where they could be trapped by fire. I didn't know why they moved. I, had, I, I was very confused because um, fire had already switched directions by the time they, wanted to, they decided to move. And that's, you know, shown in the pictures of them at the lunch spot and the fire had already changed directions and you know they were moving sometime after that which was just confusing to me i i didn't know why they moved or what their thought process was after the last conversation i had with them of you know tell them to you know hunker in the black and let's see what this weather does The crew digs in and deploys their fire shelters as they realize they're trapped. Okay, I'm here with Granite Mountain Hot Shot. Your escape route has been cut off. We are preparing a deployment site. We are burning out around ourselves in the brush. And I'll give you a call when we are under the, sh- the shelters. Okay, copy that. So you're on the south side of the fire then? The only survivor was the lookout, Brandon McDonough. He was nearly caught by flames as well, but narrowly escaped. And I'll never forget the feeling. I, I can feel the feeling right now talking about it. But I will never forget the feeling when I remember looking in my rearview mirror and fire had, was just blowing across 89. And, you know, we get, so we got obviously fire still burning, homes are still burning. And I get the the radio call, um, and I just, I mean, I can feel that feeling right now. Yeah, it was overwhelming. I don't even know how to describe it. You'll find more information on the Granite Mountain Hotshots in the Arnell Hill Fire at Code3Podcast.com slash Granite Mountain 10. All one word, Granite Mountain 10. And now a reading of the names of those lost at Yarnell Hill from the 5th Anniversary Remembrance Ceremony. Andrew Ashcraft. Robert Caldwell. Travis Carter. Dustin DeFord. 
Christopher McKenzie. Eric Marsh. Grant McKee. Sean Meisner. Scott Norris. Wade Parker. John Persin. Anthony Rose. Jesse Steed. Joe Thurston. Travis Turbyfill. William Warnicky. Clayton Witted. Kevin Wojek. Garrett Zuppiger.